Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. Are you living up to your potential? Well, my guest has a passion for showing you how. She's Nita Lina Nasserdine. She's the founder and CEO of Rise Up For You and author of Rise Up For You, Closing the Gap Between You and Your Potential. And the book is available on Amazon. She's a best-selling author, leadership and career confidence coach, and two-time TEDx motivational speaker. For everything about Nedalina, go to nedalina.com, and you can follow her on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, and LinkedIn. And Nedalina, welcome to the show. I'll call you Neda if that's okay. That's perfect. Thank you so much for having me, Ira. It's such an honor to be here. Uh, Very much looking forward to our talk today. Yes, I found your book very insightful, and I'll tell you why. I have read over the years, or I hate to admit over the decades, various quote-unquote self-help books. But you approach it from a different perspective, and that is you want people to reach their potential, but you don't want them to reach it necessarily from a sense of non-self-worth. You want them to say, hey, I have self-worth, and how can I then expand that and go forward from that? So tell us a little bit about that and also what led you to write the book. Yeah, I mean, that that's a really, really good question. It's interesting because I think that sometimes people seek self-help or personal development when they're like at the very bottom, right? When they have to make a change because something traumatic happened in their life or they got fired from their job or there was this big change that happened to them. And I'm really about pursuing your potential even when things are great. So how can you be the best person that you can be on a daily basis that's not contingent upon you being at your worst? Um, and I think that sometimes we forget about that. And people, and on, honestly, that's why in America specifically, 75% of Americans are unhappy or feel disengaged because they're on autopilot. It's like things are good. They have a job. They have a family, but they're still unfulfilled and they're still unhappy. And that's because they're not really pushing their potential, right? They've they've hit this plateau or they've gone on autopilot in their life and they just do the same thing every day, day in and in, day out. And so my whole philosophy is, is how do you rise up for you on a consistent basis and be the best you can be for you? Right. Right. And part of that is having standards for yourself that are for you. I mean. It kind of shocks me the amount of times I've talked to somebody and, you know, they feel that they're mediocre or average in their own words, right? I'm not, I'm not putting this onto them, but they kind of just want to stay there, even though they feel unhappy or they don't like it. They, they don't push themselves out of their comfort zone. And so my whole philosophy is how do we continue to push your potential so that you can live a life that you're proud of so that you can commit to dying empty, Right. So that when you put your head. What do you mean by dying empty? That's an interesting phrase. Commit to dying empty, meaning that, you know, God forbid, if something were to happen to you tomorrow, you left everything out on the table, all of your emotions, all of your passions, like you didn't have any regrets. And there wasn't a whole bucket list in your mind of things that you wanted to achieve that you kept putting on the back burner. Is that easy to do? I think it depends on the person. I think it depends on the person and it depends on the amount of fear that an individual lets take over themselves. You see, most people don't push their potential, not because they can't. It's because there's all this monkey chatter in fear that's in their mind that's getting in the way of them moving forward. And I think that if you can move past that, it becomes very easy to do. So for myself, for example, 
I like, I can honestly say if something happened to me tomorrow, like I feel great because every night when I go to bed, it's like, I put everything out on the table. I've lived a life that I'm proud of. I've expressed myself fully. Like I never try to go to bed feeling like, Oh, I didn't do what I needed to do, or I didn't say what I wanted to say. And I think that if you can push past that fear that we have in our mind of not feeling good enough, the fear of failure, the fear of making a mistake, most of the fear that we have is non-threatening fear, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like we're in the caveman time where we're afraid of, you know, violence or something that's going to come and hurt us. A lot of the things that are getting in the way of our potential and that are sabotaging us are up here. Oh, definitely. No doubt about it. You in the book, express a lot of your own vulnerabilities because you talk about what happened to you. And a lot of self-help authors and motivational experts don't necessarily like to get too personal about their lives. But you obviously talk about a lot of things, death of parents, divorce, a lot of other things that most of us go through or a lot of us go through, just being human beings in a society. And, you know, the old cliche, you picked yourself up from the floor and you dusted yourself off. You went ahead and you said, look, yeah, I'm feeling lousy and I don't have more than 20 bucks in the bank, but I'm going to make myself into something all over again. And that's what you did. What was the most challenging part of that for you when you first started down that road of coming back from the abyss? Well, I first want to start by saying that um, I actually don't consider the book to be self-help. I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that word. I consider it to be, you know, like self-development, right? Or personal mm-hmm. development. Oftentimes when I hear the word self-help, it, it reminds me of like somebody that desperately needs help with something, right? And that, Fair and again, enough. that's not really the goal here. And also one of the reasons why I decided to put my journey in there is because there is a lot of professionalism in this book. And I really want people to understand that the person is the professional and the professional is the person. So the things that you're going through as an individual also impact you in the corporate workplace. They impact you as a business owner. They impact you in your communication with your client. And for a long time, we lived in this world where like, we tried to separate them. But the reality is, is that your leadership is based off of your experiences that you're having, having you know, outside of the workplace as well. And so that's why I decided to share those is because I want people to know that this is a very real human thing. And it's not limited to whether you're professional or not. So I would say that, you know, the hardest part of, I guess, you know, bouncing back is, you know, just the loss of both parents, right? It's the acceptance of losing two parents at a young age before, you know, we expected to lose them, but recognizing simultaneously that it's a part of life, right? So it's like, okay, the pain of losing two parents and also this is life. And I'm just understanding that dynamic and being able to like kind of push through that was was challenging for sure. And you had other things in your life as well, and you explained it in the book. When you first sat down to write the book, did you have the whole book in mind or did you start with some notes about what you wanted to talk about? And then from that, it flourished and flowered and just became more than you thought it was going to become. Good question. I would say probably about 75% I had in mind. Yeah. I knew for sure that there's three things that I knew. I knew that I wanted to share a little bit about my story and my journey. 
I knew that I wanted to share why this information was important that I was about to talk about, right? So like the the happiness, uh, you know, pandemic that we're seeing and the challenges with self-worth. I wanted to make it really clear that we have some big challenges that have to do with us that we need to overcome as individuals. And then the third component is I wanted to provide actual strategy. And I think that's something that's really important, especially when it comes to development within the individual is sometimes we have a lot of woohoo stuff, right? Like just get up and be motivated and be your best self. But the reality is, is that we need strategy. Like how do I wake up in the morning and put my best foot forward? How do I stay motivated when I don't feel great? How do I show empathy? How do I have confidence in myself, even though I don't have confidence in myself? And I think it's, I really wanted to provide like action steps and exercises that the individual can do kind of like a semi workbook, which you Mm -hmm. saw, I'm sure once you got halfway through the book, there started to be, you know, exercises for you to write in so that there can be a transformational shift. Yes. And also, in addition to the the workbook parts of the book, where your your exercises, as you call it, you work on yourself that way. It's it's not for you, the author, it's for those of us who read the book to work on themselves and get a better understanding of where we are, even if it's not the most pleasant place we think we want to be. And yeah, exactly. I want to get to the six pillars to success that you talk about. But before that, did you have a specific person? You acknowledge a lot of people in the book, and you quote a lot of people in the book, and you cite a lot of people in the book, either for their studies or their insights, etc. Is there one person that you looked at and looked to for helping you understand where you are today? That's a good question. I wouldn't say one person. No, I would say there's a multitude of people and mentors and resources that I tap into to continuously help me push my potential. One, I have a business coach, right? I see a business coach twice a week, just the same to push myself as well. I consider podcasts to be my mentors, right? I listen to podcasts every day and I listen to experts and and kind of hear what's happening, what's, you know, the research that's going on. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a multitude of things that I do, but I do have a coach as well because I think again, it doesn't matter where you are in your life, everybody has blind spots. You can be incredibly successful, but you can still have blind spots in certain areas and if you want to be your best and push your potential, a coach or a mentor is going to help you get there. It's almost the equivalent of a psychiatrist seeing another psychiatrist for therapy or a psychologist seeing another psychologist for therapy. Which I'm a firm firm believer of. (laughs) But it gives them insight into their practice and they have their own personal problems dealing with clients and patients. So that that gives them a a sense of that too. Where do you get your energy from? Because I've never had energy. So how do you, you seem to be bursting at the seams. So, And do you ever have a moment where you have quiet reflection or a calmness or a meditation or any of that stuff? You do have it. Well, I'll tell you, yeah, I'll I'll tell you, I protect my energy a lot so that I can have strong energy when I'm doing this beautiful work that I get to do. So I get nine hours of sleep, eight and a half to nine and a half hours of sleep every single day. That's a non-negotiable for me. And I do, you know, uh, have the whole morning to myself. You know, I meditate, I read, I write in my gratitude journal, I work out and same thing in the evening. And so that really helps protect my energy so that when I am, you know, talking with you and I'm on stage keynoting and when we're training in corporations and working with individuals, I have the energy to put my best foot forward. I think it's also understanding that it's a privilege to be in front of somebody 
and share what we share. It's a privilege to train in a company. It's a privilege to be a keynote on stage. It's a privilege to be on your podcast and your show. And with that privilege comes certain uh, standards for the speaker, which means you have to be engaging. You have to be high energy so that the audience can connect with you. Uh, You can't let your energy go down to the audience, right? Like that's why you're the one on stage is because you have a certain element to empower and uplift. And I'm very cognizant of that fact. And that is why I sleep a lot. And that is why I protect my energy because any opportunities that I get like this, it's an honor. And I have a duty to like really show up as my best and not be lethargic and, you know, (laughs) and that's important for me. No, it's great. And the fact that you acknowledge being able to sleep that many hours, I think it's great. Most people like to brag that they get by on four hours of sleep or five hours of sleep. And I'm lucky if I can get seven. I like seven, but sometimes that doesn't work. But I like the fact that you can do nine. And then the rest of the day, you're, you, you've you got energy. You've got all that stuff going for you. Yeah. So no, that's great. Yeah. yeah. In your book, you talk about six pillars to success. And you know, there are various books that talk about different ways of approaching things. Yours are fairly grounded, I would say, in human nature. And yeah. just for an example, there's money, career, self-worth, romance, and health fitness. And yeah. each of those have a part to play in success. I guess the larger question is, how does one define success? How do you define success? And it's clearly different from how I would define it or how anybody else would. But these six pillars will help you, I'm assuming, then to achieve what you define, meaning you, the individual, define as success. Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, success and pushing your potential is not limited to your career. And that is why we are number 19 on the World Happiness Report for a first world country, which is very low, because for such a long time, success and pushing your potential was limited to making money. And we know that that just doesn't work because that's not life. So for me, success and pushing your potential means in every area of your life that is important. And think about it, Ira, when we complain as human beings, it's in these six categories, right? Mm -hmm. We complain about like, I'm not good enough. My job sucks. uh, My dating life, like I need to lose weight. The people that are around me bring me down. I don't have money. Like think of like all the things that we constantly talk about are these six pillars, right? But now the opposite is that when these pillars feel good or when they're thriving, then naturally as human beings, we're thriving. And I firmly believe that we need to get out of this mentality of only focusing on one pillar, right? I mean, we we know this from research that when people are passing and they're asked, what's one thing you would want to go back and do before you pass? Usually it's spend time with my family, my loved ones, right? Travel the world. And if I were to ask you what your top values are, or when I ask my clients what their top values are, it's usually family, health, taking care. It's all these things that aren't limited to their career. But then if I were to ask them how much time do they spend on their career, it's 90%. Mm-hmm. So 90% of their day is going to something that's not even on the top five value list that they have. And that doesn't make any sense. So for me, I'm a firm believer of building success on a holistic level, which means that you're constantly nurturing each pillar simultaneously. I don't want to say balance, but I want to say nurturing meaning that you're not letting your health completely go to waste while you're building your career. Otherwise, when you retire, you're going to spend all of your wealth supporting your health. It doesn't make Mm -hmm. sense. 
right? Or you don't even get to retirement age like my parents. My parents both died at 63 years old. They didn't even get to retirement age because they didn't, they weren't cognizant of the stress and stuff that they were accumulating and the process of of trying to make money and build a career. So I'm a firm believer that we need to nurture these pillars simultaneously to build a thriving life in the moment. And also as a leader, it makes a big difference. I mean, think about it. When you're leading a team and you're struggling with self-confidence or you're struggling with your partner at home or going through a divorce or you're struggling with your health and fitness, you're not going to show up as a leader the best way possible. No, you can't. Part of what you talk about too is people tend to distract themselves with other things instead of addressing the issue at hand, which is their own self-worth or their concept of their self-worth and how they're feeling. And I think everybody's guilty of that. It's just an easy thing to do, especially in today's society where you have so many distractions. It used to be you only had, well, way back when, used to have three TV stations in the market. Now you've got 19 million on cable and you have streaming and you have podcasts. Obviously, mine is the exception to the rule of too many podcasts, but okay. But anyway, but you have all this this distraction, and even books, in a way, can be a distraction if it's a, a book that doesn't really do anything for your soul or for some learning. So how do you how do you combat that? And tying it in with the pillars, how do you deal with distraction so you can focus on those pillars? That's and- a really good question. It's figuring out what your values are, and then having the self confidence to honor those values. See, when you're clear on your values, and when you're clear on what you want in life it's really easy to say no. When you're clear on what you want and what you, when you're clear on what's important and you have the self-confidence to live by it, it's very easy to say no when something comes your way that doesn't fit into that. So I'll give you a perfect example. Kindness is one of my top values. It's a non-negotiable. I think it's important to be kind. I think kindness is underrated. I think that sometimes we we pretend that it's okay to be kind because we're busy and we are unkind because we're busy and we have a lot of stuff going on, but it's a non-negotiable for me. I once had a speaker that wanted to speak for the company, Rise It For You. Like, we want to come and speak. We want to be on your podcast, da-da-da-da-da. And then I saw them. They didn't know I was watching them at an event. Mm-hmm. And they were so rude and disrespectful to the assistant that was checking people in. They didn't know that I was watching And the way that that individual responded and was yelling at the assistant, I was like, nope, no way. And when they reached out to me to be on my show, I was like, unfortunately, like we're full and um, we're going to have to decline. You were being diplomatic. And so when, yeah, when you're clear on what your values are and what are important, it's easy to say no, because you're honoring that. The biggest challenge that I see today is just going back to what we were talking about. People don't honor their values. Right. And that's when your confidence diminishes because every time you say yes to something that you really don't want to do or that doesn't feel good or you don't want to be involved in, you're diminishing your own self confidence because you're not honoring and respecting yourself. And I think that's really, really important. I mean, even with the company with Rise Up for You, I don't have clients before 9 30, 10 o'clock. I don't. I tell my team, like, a top value for me is my health and fitness. And I have to make time for myself in the morning to take care of me so that I can be the best when I jump in. That's a non-negotiable. It's hard, though, in in some respects, I would think, for example, about the sleeping thing, going back to that again. If you're a parent and you have small kids, I'd say for a while there, for until a certain age of those kids, you're going to have trouble sleeping for 
seven hours, let alone nine hours, because the kids are going to get up early. You got to get them to school. There are those realities of life that intrude that you're not able to necessarily maximize your health, not necessarily because of work, but because of, if you're a parent, because of kids or a combination of the two. So I have, yeah. So I have a different opinion that uh, maybe I don't have the right to say because I don't have kids yet. No, okay. go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so I'm speaking from somebody that doesn't have kids, <laughs> <laughs> but I have family members that have kids and I saw my parents, you know, with us, with kids. The reality is this is don't you want your children to see you build healthy habits? Don't you want to teach your children that mommy is going to go give herself an hour time Mm -hmm. so that she can take care of herself, work out, do whatever, so that I can be the best for you as a mom. And I think we forget that. And the truth is, is that there's a ton of resources that can help support that. Like, and that's why having a good partner is important, right? So that your Mm -hmm. partner and you can like switch off and on if needed to, to take care of yourself. But this whole mentality that I can't take care of me because I have kids, I just think we need to shift that. And again, I'm speaking from somebody that's not a parent. But I I don't think it serves anybody to put yourself on the complete back burner because you have kids. Because at the end of the day, you're not being your best for your kids and you're struggling in the meantime. Right. And, then you and get, that's why you have, Yeah, then you get stressed yeah, like your parents. Yeah. And that's why you have mommy burnout. That's why you have moms that are struggling with their identity. And we see this all the time because they're like, I don't have a life. It's like no one ever said that you can't take an hour out of the day for you so that you can be the best for your kids. And now you're also teaching your kids the importance of taking care of you. Right. Once they're past a certain age from birth to around three or four, it's going to be, yeah. Kind of an issue. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating approach that you take. And you also, I'm going to get into it with you a little bit. And let's talk about your consulting service too, your coaching service. But just one or two more things about the book. So it has chapters that within each chapter are these golden nuggets. And then you summarize them, which are nice. So you don't have to go back and look for them. Yeah. They're there at the, but you also have, as I mentioned earlier, I don't want to call it a workbook, but uh, questions and material to work on for yourself. And if you have self-worth, but you have the intellectual capacity or intelligent capacity to recognize you do have it or you don't have it, what about people who aren't quite at that level that they're not even thinking about self-worth? What do you do with people like that? You have to start with self-awareness. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, it's all all about self-awareness. It's all about understanding. It's all about understanding behavior. See, I can tell if somebody has self-worth by the way they behave, because your behaviors show everything. The way you shake my hand, the way you walk into a room, the way you talk to somebody, whether or not you raise your hand in a meeting, how you lead, by the behavior, I can tell whether or not somebody feels good about themselves or about whether or not somebody truly has self-worth, strictly by behavior. That's why when people tell me, well, this woman is really confident or this guy's really confident, but they're too confident and they're mean and they're aggressive. And I'm like, well, then they're not confident. They're overcompensating, right? If they're mean and they're aggressive and they're unkind, that's not confidence. That's them overcompensating because there's something in them that doesn't feel good enough. And therefore Mm -hmm. that's why they're mean. That's why they're aggressive. That's why they're behaving in a certain way. When somebody truly loves themselves, they're not competing against anybody. They have no reason to be unkind to anybody. They have no reason not to support and help anybody because they understand that the journey is theirs alone and it's got nothing to do with anybody else. 
And so I think that if somebody doesn't understand whether or not it's the self-worth component, it's building self-awareness on their behaviors and then understanding what is the belief that's tied to the behavior. No, that makes a lot of sense. Tell us a little bit about your coaching business, how that works. Is it one-on-one? I know you have a big team, so obviously other people are involved as well, but how do they, if they want to work with you, they can work with you directly, right? 100%. So uh, the company actually has three divisions. We have a youth division. We work with uh, school districts, you know, all over and help youth with these skills because they're so important. And then we also have a corporate division where we're going to companies and enhance their culture through these human skills, confidence, emotional intelligence, leadership. And then, of course, the individual division, which is one to one. And this is where individuals can come to us on their own accord and say, like, I'm struggling to push my potential. I need some confidence. I need some leadership coaching. Maybe I want to be a public speaker and I'm afraid to get up on stage and speak. And then we help them on a one to one basis through transformational coaching. And our coaching um, is very strategic. And that's why we don't say life coach. It's like, no, we have these pillars, leadership, confidence, public speaking, personal branding, emotional intelligence, and we're good at those pillars. And that's what we help support the coaching through. And research shows that 85% of our success is determined by these skills, right? You can have a million degrees, but if you don't have the confidence to take action, if you don't have the ability to leave impactfully or effectively, it's not going to work. With all the people that you work with, do you ever keep a score in the sense of anybody that comes back to you a year or two later and says, you know, I need another yeah. session versus those that you help right away and they don't need to come back and see you again after X number of meetings, that type of thing? Oh, yeah. We do assessments. We have benchmarks with all of our clients so that we can assess the six pillars that they go through, the confidence that they go through, the emotional intelligence. We have in-house assessments that we score in the beginning and in the end to see their growth and also their benchmarks. Like when we start coaching, the first thing we ask is by the end of this coaching program, what would be a success for you? Would it be getting that new job? Would it be, you know, climbing the career ladder and getting a promotion? And then at the end, we go back and we say, did we hit that goal? And I will tell you that we have like a 96% accomplishment rate. And that's because we are strategic and we're not like coaching in areas that aren't related. Like we're really finite and like, let's get you to the goal and let's build an action step and help support you get there. And we have a lot of repeat clients, even when they do see success, because then they want to keep achieving the next level of success too. The challenge for you is how do you keep growing? Because you're always counseling people and coaching people and you're doing speeches where you're inspiring people. How do you keep yourself, because you're at a certain level now, and you talk about that in the book, how do you then go to the next level yourself or get yourself to get to the next level without resting on your laurels? Yeah. I mean, I would say, uh, I think by nature, because of the industry that we're in, it's impossible for me not to grow. Like every time I step on stage in front of a new audience, I'm growing because I have to ask myself, like, what is this audience? And like, oh, that didn't work with them. So I have to pivot and change. Like every time I get off stage, I'm like, what worked and what didn't work? Did that fall flat? Same within a company. And also naturally as a business owner, if I'm not growing, the business is going to pew, poof, <laughs> right? Like that's the nature of the world. But also, as I mentioned earlier, I do have a coach as well that I can, that continues to push me. But in this industry, you have to keep growing because everything that we're doing is related to human skills. And if we're not growing, 
it's not going to work. It's going to bite us in the butt or somebody's going to ask us a question and we're not going to know how to answer it. And how do you maintain, this will be my last question, how do you maintain that passion for what you do? You're obviously passionate about it, but how do you maintain it? And you don't necessarily have to increase it because you have enough right there, but how do you maintain that over day after day, week after week, year after year? It's a good question. I I don't know how to answer that. I, It's just a feeling for me, honestly. I, I, I think that for me, I've always been this way. Like even when I was in high school, I would coach uh, little girls cheer squad when I was 16. I'd be like, you can do this. Like you can, you can be amazing if you want. Like I was 15, 16. Like I, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I, I think that I've always just had a big piece of me that always wants people to succeed. And it makes me sad when people don't push themselves. And I always remember just telling my friends. And even now I tell my clients, if I can do it, why can't you do it? What makes us different? Nothing, right? The only difference is is some of these skills and the discipline, it's the human skills that I'm constantly cultivating that helps me stay resilient, that believes in growth mindset, that believes in my ability to grow. And uh, I firmly believe that if everybody had that thought and if everybody believed that, the workplace would be different, communities would be different, the leadership would be different. I see way too many leaders that just, they don't believe in their team. Mike, that's a problem. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest is Mineta Lena Nasserdine. She's the founder and CEO of Rise Up For You, and she's author of Rise Up For You, Closing the Gap Between You and Your Potential. The book is available on Amazon. And for everything about Neta Lena, go to netalina.com, and you can follow her on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, and LinkedIn. Neta, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. It was an honor. Thank you, Ira. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.